You're listening to audio from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview, find more resources, or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. This message is entitled, Son of Heaven, God Takes on Flesh. So how would you, in this state, state you're in right now, in, in this point in time, how would you finish this statement? All I really need for Christmas is, and I want you to think about that, just let that sit in your mind a little bit, all I need for Christmas is. We throw around the word need, don't we? You know, as many ideas about what we need. Maybe what you really need is task-related. It's you just need to complete a project, or you need to finish a PhD, or close a deal. And maybe what you need is really relational. You're planning to propose, and you really need her to say yes. Or maybe you need reconciliation with a spouse or a child, a parent, co-worker. If all the ad campaigns are right, there are thousands and thousands of things that you really need. You, you need those new Christmas decorations. You need some high-tech new fancy vehicle, don't you? You need that if you listen. A faster computer, the newest furniture, the latest phone, because if you don't have those latest features, you, how will you function? A new wardrobe, maybe new countertops. All I really need for Christmas is new countertops or appliances. No matter how we define need, today we will see how God addresses a need that we may or may not even realize that we have. Sadly, there are many ideas of who God is. If you interviewed 10 people, you might get nine different answers on who God is, maybe 10. We're going to spend the next Sundays examining who God really is and, and why he, he took on flesh. Today we will see that, that God took on flesh to reveal himself to us so that we could know the truth, addressing our greatest need. He revealed himself to us so we could know the truth, addressing our greatest need. Uh, we're going to look at John 1, and we're going to actually have another look at Philippians 2 in a few moments. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather like this. And Father, we come in adoration of you. We worship you for you are worthy. You are the true and the only God. And Father, may you find our praise pleasing and may it come from hearts that are grateful because of the truth of Christ, that we can approach you like this. Father, we pray for our East Campus and our next service. We just commit them to you as well. And Father, would you just be in our midst and move in a mighty way. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 1. John will be our primary text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I'm sorry, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a statement to begin John's gospel. Uh, what better way to start than, than in the beginning, right? And the word John speaks of here is Jesus Christ. 
He will uh, clarify that in, in, in a few moments for us. And it might even help you to insert Jesus' name into that verse, just, just to even grasp it a little more. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Here we see the uh, doctrine of the Trinity, the triune God. He was with God and was God. Jesus was God and is God. The reality is that, is that Jesus with the Father and the Spirit are God in three in one. Three distinct persons. Look with me at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now let's go back a little further to that beginning that, that John speaks of at creation. Look with me at Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And notice how it started out there. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Again, speaking of the Trinity there. Uh, reminding us that, that Jesus exists before the incarnation. I want you to consider the significance that this adds to some of the famous Christmas verses. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. The Son became man, and that, that fact is so central to understanding the Bible and the narrative that is thread all the way through it. Uh, jump ahead with me to, to verse 14 of John 1 there. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word... Jesus takes on flesh and lived among us. God in flesh, living among mankind as a man. Now, I can think I'm safe in assuming this morning that as you think about Christmas gifts, whether for someone else or ones that you might want to receive, that you are probably thinking something new, something you don't have, or, or something that's maybe better than what you already possess. It's sort of an upgrade, right? We typically aren't thinking about downgrades. Now, some of you uh, might be at a place where if the kids have moved out of the house, so you don't need a four-bedroom, five-bedroom house anymore, so a downgrade is sensible. It's something actually that you're happy to do, or maybe move from a large vehicle to a smaller one, but generally, we don't downgrade much. Uh, most of you aren't trading in smartphones for flip phones. Might be a good idea. I don't know. We don't go and look for worn-out clothes to replace our already worn-out clothes. We don't downgrade. Uh, we aren't looking for uh, stuff that's out of style. We're not buying leisure suits. If you don't know what a leisure suit is, it's good. Uh, stay in your ignorance. I was raised in a good and loving home with one exception. My mother put me in a lime green leisure suit. 
I don't want to, you know, minimize child abuse, but it was close. Uh, I made it look good, though. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> Downgrades are not considered good. There are various media outlets that offer you sort of lists of the best and greatest of things. Including that are the most powerful people on the planet. The wealthiest, the most beautiful or sexiest people alive. There even has been a list of the least powerful people. The list, that list includes uh, corporate executives, athletes, politicians, celebrities, who all share this common characteristic uh, that they used to be powerful. But something happened, something uh, changed. Either they were victims of circumstances, they made poor business decisions, the market change affected them greatly, or they struggled to achieve. They once were good at what they did, their sport or whatever, and they weren't good anymore. Or lost their influence because of moral failure of some sort. But what's interesting is I don't think any of them chose to become powerless. None of them opted for it. None of them decided to do that. In contrast... Through his birth, incarnation, early ministry, death on a cross, Jesus, the all-powerful, sinless Son of God, chose to become powerless for our sakes. A downgrade. We looked at it briefly before, Philippians 2. I want to go there again. The Apostle Paul writes about it, speaking to the church in Philippi. Look at verse 5 of Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Perhaps I can read some of your minds this morning. You're saying, I, I know this already. Why are you talking about this now again at Christmas? And, and I just want to ask you to camp there for a moment with me. I want you to just drink in the idea that, that Christ empties himself. He, he doesn't demand what is rightfully his. He's not worried about equality with the Father. He's even willing to go into to full submission to the Father. Into the form of a servant. And then to be born in flesh, like yours and mine. And I want to suggest to you that our minds cannot take this, this in, because all we know is what it is to be in the flesh and to live in this situation we live in. And it's unimaginable for us to consider this downgrade. It's not incomprehensible for us. 
And if those things aren't enough, then, then let's review then what Jesus experienced and what he, was exposed to, what he exposed himself to. Jesus would, would ultimately be mocked and, and he would be abused. He would be spat upon. He would be stripped down. Beaten mercilessly. Ultimately crucified. And, and, and don't stop there because if that wasn't bad enough, in doing so, he's taking on himself your sin. And my sin. And he stands in between. Absorbing in his very self the wrath of the Father. Think about the relationship, that the, the, the triune God and, and the unity there and, and that wonderful relationship. And now the relationship has to then have sin brought in upon that portion of it. And so that now the Heavenly Father brings the wrath that we deserve upon Him. Think about it. Take it in. I want to suggest that we couldn't come close to imagining the scope of this. We understand the pain of a severed relationship. But consider that relationship that the Father then has to put all of the wrath of the ugliness and evilness and nastiness of sin. He has to put that upon his son. And he dies in our place. Thankfully, rising again victoriously. And that, that's why we're here today. It would be pointless for us to gather if that were not true. We might as well do other things. Take the Sunday morning off. Use it for yourself. But, but we know that he did rise. But, but again, why did he do this? And, and we have to go back to understand that, that part of the reason he did this was to reveal himself to us further. So that we could be with him, that we could have relationship with him. Remember, one of the, the beautiful themes throughout Scripture is this idea that God wants to be with us. So amazing. And, and we stop and we go, we don't even know why. We understand he was present in the garden. Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? This was right after Adam and Eve sinned. And they're hiding. But don't miss that the presence of God had been in their midst. And, and then we go to the tabernacle. Another great example, Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting, and everyone sought, or everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Exodus 33. The tabernacle, the residence or dwelling place. And then, of course, the temple. 
What a wonderful thing that, that God desires for men and women to be in his midst. And we can't forget that because of Jesus Christ, because that he took on flesh and, and he lived among us without sin and died in our place and rose again in victory, invites us to relationship with him. We can't forget that he is now with believers by the way of the Holy Spirit. In the first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul's explaining why Christians should not be sinning. And he, and he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. The, the very presence of God indwelling believers. God wants to be with us, and that's what this is about. He wants to dwell in our midst. And the, look at the lengths to do so. And when it's all done and said here, we who are his children by faith in Christ are brought to the new heaven and the new earth where we will dwell with God. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? beyond all the pain and beyond all the sorrow and all that we've experienced to get to that point. And it's because God desires that we would dwell with him. Isn't that beautiful? That's the ultimate goal, that we would be with him in heaven. So God takes on flesh, the Son became man. Why? To reveal himself to us. To reveal God to us. Can you imagine anybody else coming up with that plan to do so? Church boards can, can do a lot of good things. I don't think a church board would come up with that plan. God calls on a likely young teenage virgin girl, Mary, to be the mother of Jesus, to carry God as an embryo in the womb. To give birth to him in a stable. To reveal himself to us. You've you got to be kidding me. That's the plan? You'd come up with that? I'd come up with that? But that's what God designed. We have to know that otherwise we'd be, we'd be left to just to, to guess and to make up our own ideas. And, and people want to do that. That's popular today, just to come up with your own ideas about why we exist and, and, and how it all ends. And, and we know that the truth must be known. And nobody wants to be politically incorrect these days, right? I mean, it's dangerous. I remember an interview with a prominent preacher a few years ago. And he was pressed at one point in this interview about whether or not Jesus was the only way to God. And I remember thinking, here we go. And he shied away from it, saying he didn't want to tell people what they believed was wrong. That sounds kind. He didn't want anybody to feel bad. But that is not the loving thing to do to leave people in ignorance, to, to leave them unaware of the only way to God. 
The loving thing to do is to, to kindly speak the truth. Let's face it, we've all had times where we don't want to deal with the truth that is right in front of us. We don't like it, something about it. Uh, death in the family, we want to say, no, it can't be, or, or a loss of a job, or a breakup, or economic downturn, or whatever. We, we don't want to face those things, but it doesn't do us any good to ignore reality. You can have all the ideas that you want, and you can try to deny reality, but truth remains the truth. The preacher should have said, I believe that the Word of God tells us exactly that. Sadly, even some of the people who encountered Jesus directly were blind to who he was. Look at John 1, 9 and 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The true light, Jesus, was in the world, and the world didn't recognize him. For those of us who know Jesus and understand the word, it's, it's hard when others can't or won't see him for who he is, right? We don't, we don't want to see that. But Jesus took on flesh to further reveal God to mankind. Do you realize that an atheist who loves nature is a contradiction? An atheist who loves nature is a contradiction because that's God's general revelation. They love what he reveals. Singer and songwriter Randy Stonehill wrote a song and had words in it said, When I look to the mountains, I can see you there. In the wild churning ocean, I can feel you there. In the warm summer breeze, your voice is in the air. If you know, know Christ, no doubt you wonder why anyone would ever not want a relationship with Christ. That thought becomes in, inconceivable to us, right? How, how could you say no to this? But it speaks to the fact of spiritual blindness. And, and Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I, I think uh, on some level this needs to make us compassionate. Is there anybody in your life who, who mocks the idea that you're here today, thinks you're wasting your time, or wouldn't even understand for a moment why you would go on a mission trip or whatever? And, and we've got to recognize that for what it is and say this is spiritual blindness and, and we've got to be compassionate and truthful in those situations. Because what if it were us? Maybe you remember when it was you. But the Son became man to reveal God to us. Look at verse 18 of John 1. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John 6, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is the best picture of God the Father we get. And the Bible gives it to us. Don't we say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? It's something described as fantastic. We can get this picture of it in our mind and we can think, wow, that, 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 that's amazing. And, and then actually seeing it, it's a little bit different than maybe what we expected or something. I remember being intrigued by that show that was on a few years ago, Extreme Home Makeover. I got drawn into it a little bit more when they were doing a, a home just about 10 miles away from the church where I was serving, and they needed 
uh, transportation to get people out that. So I drove our church bus and I hauled all these workers out to the work site where they were building this extreme makeover home. But if you remember, if you ever watched it, when they revealed it, when they pulled the bus away and, and people started to move it, they would say things like, it's better than I imagined it, right? And what's interesting is the people of Jesus' day struggled. They struggled with the humility of his arrival. Because it wasn't what they had pictured. It's not as they had imagined. So follow me here. The Son, of, the Son became man to reveal God to us so we could know the truth and truth that can set us free. But, but it was people who were seeing it were going, wait a minute, this isn't how I, I thought it would be. We thought he would come and rule and reign and do all this stuff. But that's how God chose to do it. It shows us more of who God is. And the incarnation is so central to it. Matt Woodley, in his book, God With Us, writes this. After returning home from a long tour, Bono, the lead singer for U2, returned to Dublin and attended a Christmas Eve service. At some point in that service, Bono grasped the truth at the heart of the Christmas story in Jesus. God became human being. With tears streaming down his face, Bono realized the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in poverty and straw, a child, I thought, wow, just the poetry. I saw the genius of, of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. Isn't that great? Made flesh, revealing his character. Helping us understand something that we wouldn't normally think that way. Uh, unveiling the condemnation of sin. It expressed through sending his own son to die. How, how much greater picture do we need of the intensity or the seriousness of sin that, that it had to be dealt with on a level where God sends his son and then would place his own wrath towards sin upon his son? Through it, hopefully, we gain a picture of how, how serious it is, of how lost we really are without Christ. God, in, in all of his power and understanding, makes a plan, and this plan involves his son being downgraded and having the weight of our sin put upon him. What's God doing? He's revealing his character. 
to us. He's revealing how he feels about sin and how serious it is. But in that, he's showing his willingness to be merciful. Merciful at a high cost. It wasn't just, oh, okay, uh, all right, the sin doesn't matter. I, let it go. We'll start over. I, I, it's no. This, this price has to be paid. And I'm going to pay it at a high cost to myself and a high cost to my son. What a great God. That he'd be willing to be merciful, that he would bestow grace upon those who call on the name of Jesus. That he would grant us that unmerited favor. Never in this, in this book do we find out that in some way we're, we're worthy of it or some way that we deserve it. And, and that was just God's gift to us because we just deserve it. We don't ever find that anywhere in Scripture because it's not true. Because the standard was here and we came in down here. And God in his integrity doesn't just drop the standard. And he would forgive those who sinned against him. And taking on flesh to be nailed to a cross... Forgiving those who even did it to him. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. It's painful at the same time, isn't it? To think about it, to, to bring it all in. And he hurts with those who hurt. He cares for those who are marginalized. He watches out for the widows and the orphans. And he's showing his majesty and glory in the midst of it all. Showing us the way to him. Isn't that great? Showing us the truth so that we could know and have our greatest need met. Whatever it is you need for Christmas, nothing compares to this need. There's nothing more important than to have God revealed to you and to know the way to him, to know the truth. And Jesus would say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Knowing that, that's your ultimately, that's your greatest need of all. Christ came to give us truth to work with. Fulfilling life's greatest need. God took on flesh to reveal himself to us so that we could know the truth, addressing our greatest need. Would you pray with me? Maybe before I start, would you just take a moment, just you and God moment? Talk to him about what you need. And if you know that it's him, then maybe just take a moment just thanking him.
Heavenly Father, may it be that not one person leaves this place today without knowing the truth of Jesus Christ. And if they haven't settled the matter, that even in this hour they might just recognize how unworthy of heaven they are and how sin has just blocked that road. But just coming to you thankful that you would send your son and that your son would willingly take on flesh so that we could see you, God, so we could understand a little bit more, that we could know the truth and have our greatest need met and having our sins addressed. And thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us, for pointing the way and, and for being our priest and sacrifice. And rise again, again in victory and inviting us as children. Father, would you just welcome these into your family and they would just by faith say, I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me, fulfilling my greatest need. Father, we just pause and we thank you. We thank you for this divine plan and we thank you that even though it wouldn't have made sense in our minds to do it that way, we thank you that you showed us who you are, your character and your love. And we thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ and the reason he took on flesh. We're humble, humble and we're brokenhearted at the same time, but we're so thankful and filled with joy because of the truth. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.